0: you love the Dastardly Decimal System and want more? Our Patreon is the best way to get that. Members will get access to show notes, official artwork, our new bonus episode series called Cleaning Up After Tea Time, and of course plenty of cat pics of Vega voice actors, Vash and Zid. This can all be found at patreon.com slash dastardlydecimalsystem. red crowns, three princesses, shadow lady, deathless is the seeker. Information gleaned by divination magic. Welcome, humble adventurers, to my realm of knowledge and mystery. Here, in my cursed library, are endless tomes and scrolls on the darkest and evilest foes in all the realms, be they from Dungeons and Dragons, Pathfinder, The Many Worlds of Darkness, or any realm in between. Welcome to the dastardly decimal system. I'm your caretaker of the corrupt, the librarian, Caster Kane. Books are wonderful things, but as a librarian, I can count myself in the camp of the bias. But they can also be dangerous things. Knowledge in the wrong hands can cause great damage, but worse still is the damage that a magical book can cause. They can act as a foci for spells, guide for great evil, and some even act as prisons for dark, vile creatures. Those books are by far the most dangerous. For today's topic, I have brewed a pot of dandelion tea. This blend has been used for centuries to aid against skin blemishes like eczema. So take a seat, let me pour you a cup, and we may begin to discuss the imprisoned archfey known as Nintra Zeota. To some she was the Lady of Dread Omens. To others, she had been known as the Seeker of the Three Crowns, and to others still as the Princess of Shadow Glass. But to most, she was known as Nintra Siota. With an appearance befitting her royal moniker, Nintra often took the form of a nine-foot tall woman whose body was composed of a dark, shadowy glass-like material. She had a piercing hypnotic gaze with green eyes that shone like they were made from emerald fire itself she spoke with a high pitch and lifting voice that seemed to resonate within your subconscious nintra wrapped herself in a shroud of magical darkness that would consume any light that dare surround her as an archfey nintra was a powerful being who was blessed with great magical abilities she favors shadow and illusion magic. She would conjure necrotic bolts of shadow to both blast her foes and poison them. She could coalesce shards of shadowy glass into a terrible storm that could rend flesh from the bodies of her foes. She could also conjure warriors whose bodies were made entirely from the same shadowy glass. Despite her great power, she was not above dipping into melee combat. In fact. She was a vicious combatant who would tear apart her enemies with her baleful and enormous claws. In the many realms, there are countless numbers of powerful creatures. The most strongest of these have a level of power that rivaled even the gods. Archfiends, demon princess, and elder evils are examples of these godlike beings. And among these numbers were the Archfey. Now, most of these powerful beings make sense to me. Gods are limited by their domain, demons are leashed by their chaos, devils are bound by their lawfulness, and even the outsider evils, with their minds so alien to ours, can still be counted on to act in unimaginable ways. Archfey, however, are not bound like the rest, they are whimsical and free. They can go from being pleasant, generous beings to suddenly switch into dark and violent. Many of them were powerful Fae of various races, while others were awakened nature spirits or sentient animals. The most dangerous of the Archfae were noble Eladrin, so old that they transcended the bonds of mortality. The level of power with an Archfae was so great that gods such as Relkath, Luru, and Aurel, the Frostmaiden, had been mistaken for one. Many archfey had worshippers and even bestowed divine magic to some. Others were contacted by wannabe warlocks. Nintra Siota was born in Eladrin and raised in the Feywild. When she was of age, she joined the Unseelie court. This was one of the ruling bodies for all fey kind. Nintra joined at the bottom, as all new recruits do, but she desperately wanted more. Nintra was cunning and swift, but more importantly, she was charismatic and smooth. Her greatest strength was always her words and her nimble tongue. She excelled at making promises to the right person and gaining power with each of her successes. Bit by bit, she slowly began amassing power, growing in magical prowess, cultural standing and influence, ascending in the court over and over. As her rank within the court grew, so too did her pride. What once started out as a desire to grow in strength and a will to fight for position morphed into entitlement and contempt. How dare there be people who did not worship her! Her devotees were there to provide obedience and help her ascend to her one true position, the rank she coveted above all else. She was to become the regent of the Unseelie Court. The only problem was, this position was held by none other than the Queen of Air and Darkness. Nintra coveted the regency And made no secret of that fact. Her desires led to a growing resentment for the Queen of Ice and Darkness. She became arrogant and impudent towards the crown, showing immaturity and a lack of courtesy. The relationship between the two quickly became contentious and outright hostile. Left with no other choice, the Queen banished Nintra to the material plane. Nintra found herself in western Faerun, near the Kingdom of Falorm, At first, she was alone, but quickly, she found genuine friends. In a moment like this, after such a crushing loss, a wise soul would pause, take stock of their life and choices, and hopefully re-examine their place in the world. In a time like this, friends stand out from the crowd as they call you out on your mistakes. Not from a place of maliciousness, but with care in their hearts and a desire to help you rebuild. Sadly, Nintra did not, and neither did her friends. Instead, they enabled the princess's obsessions. They told her to take her place at the head of Fae nobility and to swear vengeance upon those she believed had stood in her way. But in order to do that, she needed more power, and to get that, she needed more devotees. In the 6th century of Faerun history, Nintra Siota began putting into action a scheme for power. She slowly began to corrupt and destabilize the mortal kingdom of Falorm. The hope was when the kingdom was at its lowest and left with no other option, they would turn to her for assistance. They would swear loyalty to her and she would drain them of their power while growing her own. She was stopped by a series of heroes led by an archmage known as Zyrian the Scrivener. Knowing that Nintra was too dangerous to be set free, he created an extra-dimensional prison and bound it in a book entitled The Scrivener's Tale. Knowing that no prison is perfect, Zyrian tried to strengthen the lock by putting a curse on the book. Any who read The Scrivener's Tale, even the smallest bit, would be cursed with a scrivener's mark. The curse began with 20% of the reader's body being covered with the writing from inside the book. It would start at their fingertips and curve upwards, each word written in fine, elvish scripture. Every three days the scripture would grow until 80% of their body was completely covered. The marks' effect were minor at first. The cursed person was blessed with the ability to speak sylvan, but suddenly lost their shadow. As the mark grew, so too did its benefits and drawbacks. The mark would grant you magical abilities and spells, but robbed you of your ability to drink potions and even attune to magical items. The progression continued until the cursed individual transformed into a statue of solid, smoky glass. A good book will always change hands throughout its life. A banned book, doubly so. With this in mind, it is no surprise that the Scrivener's tale changed hands several times over its 900 year history. Most who came into contact with it found death shortly after. Some became glass statues, while others found the end of a blade due to the sudden and mysterious party infighting. A human by the name of Michelle Rillian came across the book and was instantly infected by the mark. He went into debt securing the services of a wish belt to remove the curse. Now fully aware of the threat that the book could cause, Mashil decided to deposit the book in the safest place imaginable. The Candlekeep Library. Given my current surroundings, it should be no surprise that I adore libraries. There's something special about them. The endless tomes of books, each holding a story just waiting to be discovered. Yet among all the libraries, in all the realms, Candlekeep is the second greatest library in the multiverse. I obviously have to rank my cursed library first. Library loyalty is an important thing. Candlekeep holds hundreds of thousands of books, but not just anyone can enter its premise. In order to gain entrance, it takes a donation of a book that the library currently does not have. Now, I have stepped foot in Candlekeep twice. For the first time, I donated a copy of Elminster's Ecology's Appendix 3A. For my second visit, I gave them a copy of a raunchy romance book I found in a different realm. The book was called Tusk Love. I don't know why, but they seem to adore the second book a lot more than the first. The Scrivener's tale stayed in Candlekeep, untouched for a decade until it was mistakenly given to a company of adventurers, inflicting the mark upon one of their numbers. Imagine absent-mindedly reading a book, even just a few pages, and discarding it because it's not your style of read, which is valid. You move on, complete your day, and eventually turn in for the night, never giving that discarded book a second thought. That's when the dreams happen. The dreams are as vivid as anything you remember from your actual life. You feel the sweltering sun beating down as you take shelter in the shadow of a tumble-down tower. In the distance, a vast army is on the march across mud-churned farm fields. The need to hide from the marching foe is overwhelming, and you quickly retreat into the tower. Inside the tower's half-ruined walls, you discover a boar-spear. That is driven shaft down to the ground, and whose head is adorned with three crowns. One limb of the spear's crossguard bears a narrow silver circlet. On the other hangs a crown of adamantium. Around the spearhead is a golden crown adorned with emeralds. You feel the need to seize one of the crowns, to simply grab it. The draw is unbearable, but as you reach for one, you suddenly wake up and find your body covered in elven scripture. The adventurers needed to free themselves from the mark, so after some research, they set out to investigate. But as they traveled, they found themselves quickly ambushed by a gaggle of Formians and Fey wizards. They didn't care where the heroes were, they would still attack. Once they even assaulted the heroes in the middle of Baldur's Gate. Seriously, what is it about that city? These Formians were loyal to the Queen of Air and Darkness. Whatever she asked of them, they did. Whatever she wanted, they fetched, and at that moment, the Queen wanted the Scrivener's Tale. With the book, the Queen could finally have Nintra under her control. But without the book, the heroes had no way to save their lives. So when the heroes refused, the Queen sent more of her court after them. Eladrin archmages, slads, vampire, fey assassins, and even a green dragon were dispatched to retrieve the book, at any cost. After many battles and many travels, the mark growing as the day passed, the heroes finally found themselves at the Haven of the Red Quill. This was the library, the lab, and the home of Zarian, the Scrivener. Only here could Nintra be summoned and slain, ridding the mark from each of them. Nintra, however, was not one to simply stand by and watch her demise occur. Instead. She reached out from within the book and began to whisper to the marked heroes. Only she could cure their curse. Only she could stop the queen of air and darkness. Only she could free the gloaming court from its tyrannical ruler. Nintra could also form a link with the marked heroes. She gained an instinctive sense of their actions, but was oblivious of the details. As the party made their way through the Haven of the Red Quill, fighting the golems and the undead mummies that roamed the hall, Nintra continued her whispers. She spoke of the evil Gosarian that guarded the Haven. He was the one who bound her in this book. He was the one responsible for cursing the heroes. If they didn't vanquish the ghost, and quickly, the mark would consume them all. If the marked heroes didn't listen, she would speak to the others talking how the mark would cause them to betray each other, how it would inflict madness upon their minds, how it would cause them to eventually turn on their allies. The only way this ends well is with us saving each other. Heroes entered the great library. It was a large circular chamber, heavy with the smell of dust and stale air. A fifty-foot-high dome of crystal panels make up the ceiling as a pair of frighteningly tall bookshelves lined each wall. The gaps between each bookcase was filled with smoky, grey glass mirrors. At the center of the space was a ritual circle, nearly thirty feet across and carved into the stone floor. The marked hero walked into the center of the ritual circle and began to prepare. Instead of vanquishing the ghost, the heroes decided to talk to Zarian. He revealed that the only way to rid themselves of the curse was to first summon Nintra and then to slay her, and he definitely told them how. To begin, the marked heroes must stand in the circle and light six candles. Then they invoked all of the princess's names. Nintra Ciotta, the Princess of Shadow Glass, Lady of Dream Omens, Seeker of the Three Crowns. Then, with parchment and ink, they must scribe their intention to free the princess. Smoke came from each of the candles and began to billow together. They swirled around and started to take form. As the seconds passed and even more smoke joined, the form became more and more human until it transformed into the princess. Nintra was finally free. She let out a cackling laugh and instantly turned (laughs) on the heroes, and attacked. She began by shattering a mirror, flinging each of the shadow glass shards at the hero. They easily tore through flesh and riddled the heroes with cuts. Then she summoned six shadow glass warriors to fight alongside of her. The heroes fought back but the Archvase power were too great. She could blink around the library, slashing with her claws and blasting them with shards of shadow. She summoned dark magic to cast illusionary duplicates to confuse her foes. She even tossed one of her cleric foes into a mirror, trapping them in a glass prison. In between each she would shatter yet another mirror and fling the shards only for the Mirror to instantly repair themselves. Nintra's power far outweighed that of the heroes, but her time in prison the book had taken its toll. She had been weakened and her fighting was rusty. Even her arrogance had led to her downfall. There was no way mortals could best her. It wasn't long until the heroes gained the upper hand. As the battle turned against her, Nintra called upon darker magic to even the fight. She infused the curse with dark magic and watched as it rapidly expanded on the heroes. Some went from a single rank of curse to four, while others were instantly petrified as glass statues. In a moment of assumed triumph, Nintra struck down her final foe and watched as they all lay there, clinging to life. She cackled loudly and began to plan her ascension. The Queen of Air and Darkness would fall next, and she would have the crown she so long desired. Seeing her distracted, consumed by her arrogance, a hero let out a desperate strike. It was not at Nintra, but at the Mirror. They shattered it, freeing the cleric. A wave of healing magic suddenly rippled across the room, and the heroes found themselves renewed and back in the fight. Nintra fell quickly after, falling to the stone floor, unconscious. But that was not her end. She would completely heal herself in an hour. In order to prevent this, the marked hero returned to the ritual circle and extinguished each of the six candles. Smoke rapidly began to pour out of Nintra, ripping her body apart in the process until all that remained was a pile of ash. Nintra Siota, the Lady of Dark Omens was finally dead. Very few evil gods ever stay dead for long, they always have a return planned and a secret scheme squirreled away. It would do well to assume that the same holds true for an evil archfey, assuming that they are even dead to begin with. Lore about the Archfey is chaotic, much like them. But I have come across writings of something called a Nemesis. Now, an Archfey is notoriously hard to kill. Most times it requires an item, a creature, or a special condition. One specifically designed to kill it and it alone. This is a Nemesis. And each Nemesis is unique to that specific Archfey. Was the ritual created by Zerion powerful enough to be considered a nemesis? If not, will Nintra eventually reform? If she does, which kingdom will she set her gaze upon first and will any of us be able to survive her wrath? It seems that our tea has once again run dry which means our time is up. Join me again in my library for more stories and lore about the darkest villains from the darkest realms. This has been the Dastardly Decimal System, and once again, I'm your librarian, Caster Kane. The Dastardly Decimal System can be found on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Dd System Podcast. That's Delta Delta System Podcast. Drop us a message and say hi. Vega always loves the attention. This podcast was produced by Midnight Reading Audio, a division of Midnight Reading Publishing. The voice of Caster Kane is Larry Gent. Hi! The voice of Vega was provided by My Cats, Vash and Zid. Music was Enchanted Forest by Alexander Nakarata from Pixabay.com, licensed under the Creative Commons. Thank you, and have a wonderful, wonderful evening.